epic tales of mystery and magic to accounts of battle and empire from the verses of ancient poets to the masterpieces of our times a light on literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light Hi, I'm Huang Rei, and on today's A Light on Literature, we continue to present the book The Sound of Salt Forming, short stories by the post-80s generation in China, published by the Foreign Language Teaching and Research Press in 2016. On today's show, we present you the second part of the story, Invisible Planets, written by Hugo Award winner Hao Jingfang. Previously on Invisible Planets, it seems that no outsider can uncover Pimuyatsu's secret, aside from a few wanderers who have been to all corners of outer space. They have the acute perception that people here are so ready to bring up the fact that they are Pimuyatsian, and this is something that is most easily forgotten on planets that are ruled by the Aboriginal people. In this episode. Pingjuwa. Aside from Pimuyati, probably only on Pingjuwa will you be able to see life forms from so many different places, bringing completely different customs and culture, which clash on this minor planet, crashing together and throwing off sparks. Pingjuwa is not big, nor is it small. The seasons are warm and temperate, and the weather is mild. The plains are vast, and there are no mountains. The surface features have only the most delicate of rises, drawing a gentle arc where the sky meets the land. This place has all the features of a typical planet, but aside from this, there is nothing else. There is fertile soil here, abundant mining, diverse flora and fauna, and also round fields ringed in shrubbery that compel all to sing and dance. But. It is also limited in this characteristic, in that there are no other places that would take people by surprise. The people of Pingjuwa are also like this, common, and not at all extraordinary. They belong to a very common group of mammals. They aren't too big, are simple and kind-hearted, easily finding contentment in their lot. The social system is uniquely easygoing, but the people share rather harmonious lives. If I had to say what it is about Pingjuwa people that is different from the rest, then maybe it would be their unusually good temper. People rarely see them arguing, either among themselves or with any of their extraterrestrial guests who come in all hues, shapes, and sizes. They are skilled listeners, both adults and children. When they are listening to someone speak, they always keep their large eyes opened wide, frequently nodding and wearing an expression of shock and enchantment. As for this fine characteristic of the local people, the most intelligent and ambitious people in the universe saw its value and secretly began competing with one another. That's right. Who wouldn't want to rule such a country? It comprised all varieties of useful resources, a suitable living environment, and the most important point of all. A golden location at the confluence of so many shipping routes, 
who wouldn't think of subjugating a state like this? Thus, teachers, missionaries, politicians, revolutionaries and journalists all came and each described one heaven-sent state after another to the people of Pingjua, expounding upon one perfect ideal after another, and the people of Pingjua emitted one heartful sigh of admiration after another, as they accepted one new point of view after another. And what's more, there were these planets that, surprisingly, even immediately sent out overseers and ceremoniously embedded themselves in the highest seat of power on the planet. And the residents didn't resist. In fact, they didn't give it any thought at all. And then, when these triumphant moments had passed, the extraterrestrial visitors began to lose hope, each of their own accord. And the more time that passed, the more hopeless they became. The people of Pingjawa have never really accepted any of these preachings, and even in the case of teachings that are met with relative approval, they've never planned to put them into action. On the one hand, they ceaselessly sighed in admiration at a society strengthened by the rule of law. On the other hand, they seemed not to have heard the regulations set forth by these lawmakers from far off places. In regard to this attitude, all of those self-important and ambitious characters were helpless because they found that this discrepancy between word and deed was not the product of some shrewd and willful deception. Rather, it was a way of life. Faced with the question why, without rhyme or reason, they would say, it's true, what you say is correct, but there are too many correct things in the world. What is really correct? Some planets couldn't take it anymore. So they would hatch plans to rule with martial force. But then another planet would suddenly intervene. The subtle checks and balances of power and military might saw to it that every potential instance of conflict was resolved outside of the airspace of Pingjua. And so, Pingjua serves as a centre where outsiders congregate, and it has become one of the most primitive ecologies in the heart of the galaxy. Do you like them, these stories? I like them, but I kind of don't. Why are all the planets filled with travellers from other planets? This makes me a little uncomfortable. It's like a zoo. Hmm, you're right. I don't like that either. A planet's fingerprints always get rubbed a bit thin like that. Okay, let's talk about some true Aboriginals. You have been listening to Invisible Planets, a short story selected from the book The Sound of Salt Forming, short stories by the post-80s generation in China, edited by Song Gong and Yang Qingxiang, and published by the Foreign Language Teaching and Research Press. The author of the short story, Hao Jingfeng, born in 1984 in Tianjin, is a science fiction writer. In 2016, she won the Hugo Award for Best Novelette for her science fiction, Folding Beijing. She works as a macroeconomics researcher at China Development Research Foundation. Amiyaji and Ai Huowu. As for those ruled by the Aboriginal people, I'd like to tell you the story of two planets. They are Amiyaji and Ai Huowu. On these two planets, there are two separate races of sentient beings who rule and both believe that they are indeed the rightful masters of the planet. 
Amiyadi's son is a binary star. One, a dazzling blue giant, and the other, a faint white dwarf. Both have relatively similar masses, but their volume and luminosity are vastly different. Because of this, the orbit of Amiyadi is shaped like an irregular gourd. Its revolution, tied to the saddle-shaped potential fields of these two stars, Amiyadi spins about in a waltz-like dance. Whenever it draws closer to the blue giant, Amiyadi enters a prolonged summer, and when it draws near the white dwarf, it experiences a similarly long winter. In summer, the planet is covered by all types of flora, sprouting long tendrils, madly unfolding their limbs, and in winter, most of them enter a deep state of silent hibernation, only a select few quietly issuing forth on the barren earth. In winter and summer, Amiyadi is ruled by two different kinds of life. One kind elegantly dances in the dense forests of summer. Another meanders in solitude on the uncultivated plains of winter. The summer Amiyadians live in huts of thatched vines, and when the temperature cools, these huts disappear like wisps of smoke and puffs of clouds as their leaves wither and dry. The winter Amiyadians live among the heavy rocks of hollowed-out cliff dwellings. When the weather warms again, all traces of the entrance to the caves are obliterated by a thick blanket of grasses and the like. Whenever the summer Amiyadians get ready to hibernate, they excrete a liquid that sinks into the ground. This liquid causes a kind of insect known as the wususu to enter its mating cycle and reproduce in droves. This, in turn, causes the alodong plant, sheltering itself from winter's cold, to reawaken. Then, this tiny humble plant will induce the gradual awakening of the winter Amiyadians. When the winter Amiadians finish their own seasonal journey as winter nears its end, they give birth to their own young. These precocious youth develop and mature underneath the ground with the protection of a membranous layer. This development sets off an ionic reaction that changes the composition and pH of the soil, which, in turn, causes a whole host of plant life to begin sprouting one after another, announcing the arrival on this planet's raucous summer, and also signalling the onset of the reign of the summer Amiadians. And so, the two varieties of sentient life on Amiyadi are unaware of one another's existence. They do not know that their own subsistence is inextricably intertwined with that of another civilization. Both have many elegant works glorifying the guidance of spirits for allowing them to gain new life in the time between their deep slumber and their reawakening. But they have never realized that they themselves are the children summoned by the gods, and that they themselves are the gods. You have been listening to Invisible Planets, a short story selected from the book The Sound of Salt Forming, short stories by the post-80s generation in China, edited by Song Gong and Yang Qingxiang, and published by the Foreign Language Teaching and Research Press. The author of the short story, Hao Jingfang, born in 1984 in Tianjin, is a science fiction writer. In 2016, she won the Hugo Award for Best Novelette for her science fiction, Folding Beijing. She works as a macroeconomics researcher at China Development Research Foundation. As for Ai Huowu, the situation is entirely different. The surface of Ai Huowu is host to two different sentient civilizations, both 
clearly perceive the other's existence, but they are completely unaware that their counterparts are like them, possessing the faculties of feeling, logic, and a moral code. The reason is quite simple, an enormous discrepancy in the scale of time for these two forms of life. Aihuawu is a planet with a very peculiar orbit. The angle between its axis of rotation and its plane of orbit is quite small, while the axis of the planet itself is in a constant state of slow oscillation. Because of this, the surface of the planet has been separated into four zones. The long swathe of Aihuawu that is near the equator alternates between day and night, based on the rotation of the planet about its axis, while the two poles experience their own shifts in day and night based on the speed of the axial oscillation. These two different divisions of day and night often differ from one another by a ratio of several hundred times, and therefore the two kinds of life that have been born in these two different zones have temporal scales that differ by a factor of several hundreds. For the Aihuawuans at the equator, the poles endure mysterious and prolonged polar days and polar nights, while for the Aihuawuans at the poles, the equatorial passage from darkness to light takes place time and again in little more than an instant. It really is an interesting phenomenon. The Aihuawuans at the equator are delicate and nimble, hundreds of thousands of them living grouped together, whereas the polar Aihuawuans have a metabolism befitting their own days and nights, and their bodies are also adapted to suit the temporal scale. Sometimes, the equatorial Aihuawuans will go and explore the poles, where they inevitably become lost in the labyrinthine forests, to the extent that they will take the dwellings that they accidentally come upon as imposing precipices scaled only with great effort. Then, when the polar Aihuawuans come to the equator to wander about, they are mostly unable to see the details, even inadvertently destroying the houses those small people depend on for their livelihoods. It is just like those ancient fables where there are accounts of countries of giants and countries of small people. They inhabit the same planet and live in different worlds. Sometimes, the equatorial Aihuawuans can't help but speculate. Could those giant creatures at the pole be sentient as well? In their hearts, they think that something so laboriously slow, a creature that hardly moves in hundreds of years, even if it were conscious, could only be simple and sluggish. And the polar Aihuawuans find that similar doubts arise in their hearts. And they sigh and nod their heads, thinking that a small creature born in the morning and dead by night could not possibly understand life and civilization. Thus, the two sentient groups on Aihuawu both experience learning, work, love, hate, war, and peace, as their histories both play out on different temporal scales, verifying one another. But neither is aware of its counterpart, and they are both unaware of the notion of the length of time, though they use their own lifespans as the scale by which to measure the universe. Wait, you suddenly interrupt. How can you know about both of these civilizations at the same time? When did you go to Amiyazi? What scale of time did you experience on Aihuawu? I know, of course I know. In fact, if it were you, you would too. This is precisely the difference between the visitor and the resident. This is travel. This is travel? This is why we travel? It is, and it isn't. You want to know the significance of travel? Then let me tell you about a travelling planet. You 
have been listening to Invisible Planets, a short story selected from the book The Sound of Salt Forming, short stories by the post-80s generation in China, edited by Song Gong and Yang Qingxiang, and published by the Foreign Language Teaching and Research Press. The author of the short story, Hao Jingfang, born in 1984 in Tianjin, is a science fiction writer. In 2016, she won the Hugo Award for Best Novelette for her science fiction, Folding Beijing. She works as a macroeconomics researcher at China Development Research Foundation. Lunati Lunatians manufacture the most beautiful cars, boats, aircraft, and rockets in the galaxy. Their beauty and complexity often exceed the imagination of visitors, and they also far surpass the levels of all other engineered technologies on the planet. Intuitive people can immediately guess what the reason is, deducing the importance of travel to Lunatians. However, the deeper reason is quite difficult for most to uncover. They can't imagine why these intelligent people spend a life of toil dedicated to travel and preparation for travel, neglecting to engage in a more productive activity. It is only people who have a thorough understanding of the development of Lunatians who are able to understand this inexplicable lifelong compulsion. Lunati is home to a great basin where the concentration of oxygen is higher than in other places. The soil is rich and moist, small waterfalls pour into a deep, clear lake, flowers bloom throughout the year, ball-shaped fruit trees surround fields of tender grasses and colourful mushrooms pop up all about. Every Lunatian is born and passes an idyllic childhood there. No one knows how they came to be in this place. As from the moment they open their eyes, this basin has been their entire lives. There are always those moments when and always those individuals who want to know the secret of their origin, or to discover the dwelling of their gods. So, when they grow up and grow big enough to clamber over those great rocks that form the slope surrounding the basin, they venture into the densely vegetated labyrinthine forest and, following the slope of the mountainside, climb their way out of the basin. They cannot say for sure how old they were when they grew up, because the time when each person starts getting taller is always different. No one knows when it all really began. After they make their way out of the basin, they continue on and on, finding nothing. But they may find many other people who have come out of the basin before them. Then, they will learn that those seekers are still seeking, that the journey is still a journey, and that the secret is still a secret. Because of this, Lunatian life is an exodus. They go from one place to another, never settling down. They build boats, cars, airplanes, and hoping to quicken the pace of their footprints to journey over the entire planet to reach the end of the sky. Sometimes, quite unexpectedly, some among them will follow a small and desolate path into a mountain meadow. There blooms a mystical silver flower that exudes an intoxicating odour. This scent makes every Lunatian delirious and causes tender feelings they have never had before to well up between them. For the first time, it makes them notice the attraction of the other, makes them want to share love, to come together and to pay their respects to one another. Then, beside the water, they give birth to a baby. 
The infant is carried away downstream into the basin under the waterfall, and they themselves separate and sink into the mud. Just like that, such a simple cycle becomes the entire meaning behind the Lunatians' travel and their lives. What you just heard was a second part of the story, titled Invisible Planets, from the book The Sound of Salt Forming, Short Stories by the Post-80s Generation in China, published by the Foreign Language Teaching and Research Press in 2016. Invisible Planets features a range of unique planets with their distinctive residence. One of the planets in the story has a beautiful landscape with happy people habitually telling lies. Meanwhile, another planet has inhabitants who appear open to all sorts of new ideas but never really accept any. At the same time, yet another planet is ruled by two species that depend on each other but never get to know about each other's existence. The story is full of insight, imagination and metaphors of human society. Join us again next time on A Light on Literature for the final part of the story. I'm Huang Rei. See you next time. have been listening to Invisible Planets, a short story selected from the book The Sound of Salt Forming, short stories by the post-80s generation in China, edited by Song Gang and Yang Qingxiang, and published by the Foreign Language Teaching and Research Press. The author of the short story, Hao Jingfang, born in 1984 in Tianjin, is a science fiction writer. In 2016, she won the Hugo Award for Best Novelette for her science fiction, Folding Beijing. She works as a macroeconomics researcher at China Development Research Foundation. From epic tales of mystery and magic to accounts of battle and empire. From the verses of ancient poets to the masterpieces of our times. A Light on Literature brings to life China's literary heritage and a look at the world in a new light. What are folks talking about in the most populous country in the world? What is it really like living in China? What does that have to do with you and the rest of the globe? Grab a seat at the round table and find out what's cracking from the hottest English discussion show coming straight out of China. Find us at Roundtable China on your favorite podcast platform. We'll see you there. Put down that lengthy book spanning thousands of years and instead follow the Makers and Shakers of Chinese History podcast, which presents the biographies of 20 historic figures who shaped the course of ancient China. Meet the most renowned ancient Chinese rulers, ministers, thinkers, scientists, poets and rebels and find out how they continue to influence the Chinese to this day. Subscribe to Makers and Shakers of Chinese History for free on your favorite podcast app.
learning Chinese. I always tell my students that listening is the key to mastering the language. Check out Takeaway Chinese, where you can start learning the language quickly and enjoyably. No matter if you're a rookie or a sophisticated Chinese learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese. A world starts with 你好 The best military commander is not he who fights a hundred battles and wins every one of them. The best military strategy does not lead to the desiccation of the enemy's capital city. Decoding the art of war will help you understand why there's no art in war and how Sunzi stayed undefeatable using the science of war with fun stories and insightful breakdown of famous battles. Tune in to Decode.